As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. This is Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Steiniger. Today we talked with Cynthia Jammin, the founder of Twirly Girl. Michael, what do you think of this one? This was great. Um, there's a lot to be learned from from building a business even outside of the tech space. Um, they they sell a lot online, um, but a lot of the the things that we talked about were kind of global ways of approaching business, and that was incredibly interesting. What about you, Joelle? Yeah, I loved how at like every step of the way, she quote unquote broke the rules and did things differently than you're supposed to do them for retail or or whatever people say. And every single time she just followed her gut, she was right. Um, And she's just been growing slow and steady and doing her thing. And it was just really, really cool to hear her story. So uh, let's get into it. 
So tell us um, a bit about Twirly Girl uh, Clothing. Twirly Girl Clothing started as a hobby, as a lot of mom businesses tend to do. We find a need out there that isn't being, we find, we have a need that isn't being filled and we feel like we've come up with a great solution. Um, mine was very internally based, meaning I wasn't thinking to make a business. I just came up with this really cool concept for a dress and I took a sewing lesson and was wanting to experiment with it. And I did and started making them. And then other people started being interested. And that's what made me think, oh, maybe this is a business. But um, to go back to where I came from was an abusive childhood. So I never really had a childhood to speak of. I It was very skewed and very dark. And um so I kind of rebuilt myself slowly as I grew and I became an actress and that was a very healing experience. I could um, explore a lot of different emotions without getting into drugs and and lewd behavior, which unfortunately a lot of people who come from an abusive past aren't as fortunate as I was to kind of find my way out in a healthy way. Um, it's, it's very hard to recover from childhood abuse because there, all these wounds are kind of unseen and they force you to kind of go out for different, uh, get your needs met in ways that aren't necessarily healthy for yeah. you. So, um, I always felt like I had a lot of support around me in, you know, they always say, like, you make your own family sometimes if you don't have the family you wanted. So I really found some amazing people that helped me along the way to become a confident and more, um, how should I say, more secure person in my body. Um, so that helped. And acting was wonderful. And I met my husband acting. He's a sitcom writer. And it was kind of a typical Hollywood love story, but not typical in that we're still together. So that's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little atypical in that way. Um, but anyway, so we're still married. And now we work on Twirly Girl together. And why I, I kind of digressed into the past because um, Twirly Girl kind of was an extension of a subconscious need to kind of recreate my childhood in a way where I could express myself in a place that felt healthy and safe. And um, and I just found myself drawn to all these bright, happy colors and amazing prints. And I have no fashion history, no fashion background. I actually don't even care about fashion. <laughs> That's not, I could care less. I don't open a magazine. I don't follow trends. I really feel like this came from a greater purpose for me. And I just kept saying yes to every opportunity that came. And I have to say, it actually started very easily, which made me feel like I was on the right path. Because a lot of times businesses, I think people, um, especially people that I've talked to, they come up with an idea, but then they keep hitting these roadblocks and it it feels so much harder for them. Mm. And I can't relate because everything I did just fell into place because I feel like it was coming from a, a very authentic uh, purpose. And even though it wasn't revealed to me exactly 
what I was doing and why until years later, interestingly enough, that passion and that drive just was unstoppable. It was like something a little bigger than I was. Um, were you making like it was addresses for your for your daughters and then you would go out and people would be like, can you make me one? Exactly. And I was making them one at a time. And then I had a little show in my house and I put together 20 dresses. God knows how, but I did. And, and then it just started from there. And, and I ended up with a little bit of an inheritance from a grandmother who wrote me in the will, wrote me out, wrote me in, wrote me out. And my dad had pity on me and he said, look, you know, I'm just going to give you this $20,000 for my share. Nobody has to know, but she wanted you at one time, so it's okay. So she was very old and very lovely, and um, I felt okay taking it. So (laughs) okay. We were on good terms. It wasn't like, you know, pity money or anything. So, um, so I took that money and my husband with my, you know, we talked about it and said, yeah, we don't really need it for anything. He was working on a steady job and it was just like, yeah, let's do something with this idea. And that's, I never wanted to take out a mortgage on my house. I never wanted to be in debt. Twirly Girl runs in the black right now. We always have. And that pressure of not having to pay back money or um, feel like I have to make a certain amount in order to pay my bills. I never wanted to have that pressure. I knew growing up the way I did that that would just be a recipe for disaster for me. So for me, I had the luxury of starting with no pressure, which I know a lot of people don't have. But I would say even if you don't have the luxury and you really need to make this work, the best thing I can say would be to honor that initial reason why you wanted to start this and stay true to it because it's so easy to get swayed by desperation or um, fear to make the wrong decisions and I feel like I was able to take my time and even though I've made some mistakes it it didn't it wasn't detrimental it wasn't gonna set us back so that yeah I forgot what the question was well, <laughs> when, when you enter into it with that mentality what are the practical things that it changes for you? Like, how did you go about things differently to ensure that you could um, build the business in the way that you knew that you wanted to? Yeah, uh, that's a great question because I think ignorance is bliss in a lot of ways because I knew nothing of the fashion industry. I didn't know how it was supposed to work. So because I wasn't desperate, Um, and I wasn't in fear of being in competition with anyone. I didn't really care what anybody else was doing. And I know that may be naive. Yeah, you not want to know what your competitors are pricing things at. That's all kind of obvious stuff. But after I got a look at, okay, this is what that dress is selling for, I would just put my blinders back on. I never got into how they're marketing or how they're doing all this stuff. This is in the beginning. I just really focused on what I was doing, what I could do best, and what I loved to do. So I didn't want to make t-shirts. I didn't want to make staple items for the whole wardrobe. I wanted to concentrate on really fun, unique clothing that did something special, that every time they put it on, it would be like wearing a toy. It wasn't just a piece of clothing. It had to have a story behind it. It had to have a reason for them to put it on and keep it on. So 
that was my whole intention. And I think if I had gone in knowing how, how hard the clothing business is <laughs> and how competitive, and competitive right? <laughs> oh my God. And children's clothing is really tough because you're fighting for these dollars that parents have, you know, they definitely want to spend on their kids, but I'm in a higher end market and they're not going to spend on five high-end products. They're going to maybe pick one or two. So because I'm not a staple item, I have to prove why your girl is going to need a twirly girl dress, not just want it, but they're going to need it to experience their childhood in a very special way. That And it sounds like, how can you do this with a piece of clothing? But I feel like I've proven that this has a little magic to it. And that's where I've concentrated and I've veered off the path and gone different ways and always come back to the same place, which is like, just stick to what I know, you know, do what you know. Do you have people coming to you saying, um, Hey, I, I would really like a t-shirt or I would like an article of clothing that you cor- currently don't manufacture. Yeah. Yeah. All the time, like pajamas and swimsuits and underwear and tea. And I'm like, how do you deal with that kind of like, you know, you're like, if I make it, they'll buy it. Um, but how do you deal with the, with staying on track? Well, that's tricky because I don't know if they would actually buy it. Okay. Like people say stuff like that all the time. And I feel like I've tried to make t-shirts and they never really go anywhere. I make t-shirts just to go with the skirts, but I don't really focus on them. I just have them in case people want to buy them. But it it really does dilute my energy to start to branch out and make all these other items. It costs a lot of money to put new styles into the flow of the brand. And for me, I've just found, you know, I really need to just stick with what I know. And eventually, I mean, obviously, I want Twirly Girl Girl to grow. And it would be great to license out the brand name for shoes and for hula hoops and toys. I mean, it could be a whole brand lifestyle, but we're just not there yet. And I'm not interested in going that route by myself. I think that would be really foolish. Right. You mentioned being in in a high end or on the higher end of the marketplace, and part of that is is kind of by necessity because um, you manufacture everything in the U.S. Um, what what led you to that that kind of decision to manufacture here um, and and to charge more for the product? Well. Um... Being a, a niche product, you can charge a little more because there's not a lot of people going into that area so much. Um, so that's one reason I feel I can justify the price because I'm offering something unique. And why I chose to manufacture in the United States for various reasons. One is really to keep control of everything. Um, I really couldn't fathom the way I produce things, which again is... I didn't know any better, and I'm probably doing it the hardest way you could possibly manufacture clothing. I don't buy 5,000 yards of the same print. I'm all, each dress takes maybe four or five prints, each version of, and I usually have three or four versions. So four times three, that's 12 different prints going on in one style, and I'm always getting new prints. So logistically, it would be really hard to source 
80 million different prints overseas and then do a small run to keep everything one of a kind appeal because I, I do them like works of art. So that again is like if you, any clothing manufacturer would tell you that is the worst business model. You will never succeed with that. That is impossible. How can you possibly sustain that and grow your business? And I've proven them wrong. I could scale if I really wanted to and I could buy those thousand yards and 80 million different prints if I knew I had the demand of a thousand dresses every single month, you know, Mm -hmm. and I know I can do that. But right now there's not a need to do that. And I can just keep going slow and steady. So keeping it in the United States, I have the opportunity to keep changing my versions really quickly. I can do limited runs. I don't have to keep a ton of inventory. Um, I never have to really have a sale. We have two sales a year and people just line up uh, virtually to get on this. And I only have what I have. It's like stuff that didn't, um, out of stock uh, stuff, uh, discontinued styles or damaged goods. Like stuff that has flaws, people <laughs> eat up. And I put little patches on them if there's like a little stain on the fabric or the fabric w- wasn't printed right. And people are like, can I get one of those, you know? <laughs> And I'm like, this is the most brilliant thing ever. And they're special. They're still special. So, you know, it's very like I create this this um, mystique about it because nothing on the website is ever on sale. So I always say it's stuff you're not seeing that's going to go on sale. And so it's that mystery and all of that. So being made in the USA is really, really important. I mean, there's no way I could do it overseas right now. So it just makes sense for my business. And I think people appreciate that. And I keep local people working. And I like having those relationships. It's part of the joy of being in this business. If I always had to communicate with China or India, um, it wouldn't be as joyful for me. So it's also selfish. I want to work with people. So I know you're doing, uh, you have some efforts going to try and educate people about why you're producing Uh, your items in the U.S. and why they cost a bit more. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? How we educate people? Yeah. 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 We have um, product videos. We love doing the product videos on our site. We're doing more and more of those and trying to hone in on what exactly the message is. But I think that is very helpful. We have a ton of customer reviews um, on our site that are authentic. Um, We also really try in all our messaging to get across that we use very high quality stitching, luxury fabrics. Um, it's really difficult on the e-commerce platform to get the messaging across without like repeating yourself 80,000 times on the product <laughs> description and then on the homepage and then in a little box that pops up and says, we're special, you know, it, it's annoying. But then at the same time, how are they going to know that you are special. So what we do is we have very dedicated blogs that talk about why we do what we do. We send out automated emails that talk about why we're wearable art. Um, we talk about the people in the company um, and what how special they are. And so we really try and be personal. I think that's the biggest thing. And our customer service is so 
important to us. We respond on weekends, night times, um, definitely within 12 hours if we're awake, um, immediately. And that gives people the sense like, hey, they're not messing around here. You know, they care about me. I'm a special customer to them. They treat me as if I'm their only customer. And that's kind of how we, we decide to Get the brand across that it's quality, it's worth it, and this is what you're paying for, and this is what you get. So you mentioned earlier that uh, a big part of your audience are grandmothers, yet you're operating online. You said you're sending out emails. You've got this e-commerce platform. How are you kind of reconciling that audience with the platform that you're selling your product on? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think we make it very easy to read um, with bigger print so that the buttons are nice and big and colorful. We try and make the user experience very easy. And as far as communicating with the grandmas, it's almost like the daughters tell the grandmas about the company. And then once the grandmas see the reaction of the gift that they gave, they're fans for life. Mm -hmm. Like they just keep coming back even without the daughters asking anymore. But usually it's their daughters or their sons who are telling them about us. And then they kind of get on the bandwagon, you know. Um, but as far as marketing to them, um, it is trickier. They, we find that older, the older generation is on Facebook. So we do try and use, uh, boosting our posts and advertising on Facebook, which is a little tricky for us because not everybody sees it and you have to, it's, it, that whole metrics is very, um, it's confusing at times, but we we do feel like that's valuable. We have to be a presence on there. And I think that's really the best way to reach that generation. I don't know that there's so much on Instagram right now. Probably everybody will be eventually, but yeah. Yeah. What on the, on a more like, um, I guess, logistical side, what is it like setting up a wholesale network these days? The wholesale, like selling to stores? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we have a wholesale site on our website, and that's one of the things we really insisted it on, insisted on in building our website this time was um, that we had to have a wholesale component so that uh, buyers could buy online. And then you just have reps around the country that actually can show the line. But we've steered away from wholesale these past few years because we found that it took us away from building our retail where we really wanted to be. And I think it goes back to the very beginning when I started, I was dealing with my end customer. I know my end customer and the buyer of a store kind of stands between me and my end customer in a way. So it, it's a little bit more of a hurdle to jump over and I don't enjoy jumping over those hurdles. I just it's not where my passion is. So I prefer to work with the stores that already get us. Like they know what we're about. They love it. And I don't have to sell to them. They know they just come back and keep asking for more. They don't even care what we send them. They're just like, we need this style. Send us whatever colors you have all the time. And it's like that 80-20 rule. Okay. We learned that we don't need to focus on the whole wholesale market. We just focus on the stores that really already know us and love us and have heard about us from customers. So those are the accounts we nurture and we cultivate. 
Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about just focusing on what's working and what works instead of trying to kind of dig through the trough always. Yeah, and I tried wholesale. I did the trade shows. I had 10 reps all over the country, and we never even paid attention to the retail, and that just kept growing at least 20% every year. And then when we started focusing on the retail, okay, here's the numbers. You ready? I know everybody's going to get so excited (laughs) now. Okay, so for quarter one and quarter two this year, our retail sales are up 58% over this time last year. Which is huge. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's just doing what we're doing and putting a little more effort into it. So, um, from 2013 to 2014, our profits are up by 52%. Wow. And before that, 75% of our business was wholesale and only 25% was retail. And now we're flipping it. Wow. Okay. And so you're, and that's from just focusing on the people that find retail that are rebuying essentially. Yeah, exactly. And, okay. and you just have to keep getting the word out. I mean, there's kids being born every day. We mm-hmm. start at 2T, right? right? Or 12 months, really. I have one style for babies, but I don't really concentrate on infants because they can't move. I mean, my stuff's <laughs> about pooping. I don't want to make a onesie, you know? <laughs> too static and boring, you know, and there's 5,000, you can go to Target and get a $10 onesie and then they grow out of it. So it's It's not interesting to me, you know, but when they're two, they really start to move. And that's when they first start to twirl and kind of fall around in a circle. Mm -hmm. And they like to wear clothes. So that's my, that's when I start. And there's always two year olds. So we're finding that we just have to keep that machine going of getting the word out there so that once we build our audience, they do keep reordering because they realize, okay, well, she grew out of it and she's not ready to give it up yet. So she needs another one and another one and another one. So that's pretty much, and I'm not sounding greedy. I'm really just saying... It's more about being a part of their childhood. That's what I want to be. I want to be a memory. I want to be, um, the, I say I as Twirly Girl. I'm talking as Twirly Girl, which is a little weird, but Twirly Girl wants to be part of their childhood, you know, and that's, and it is. We get letters all the time saying how special it is and how, how they feel like just beautiful wearing it. And there's all these pictures of them in it. So then when we look back, they're going to go, Oh my God, that was such a special time. So it's part of it. So what's your ultimate goal? Like, do you want this to be something that turns into like a huge, uh, operation where you do order, you know, thousands of yards of fabric, or do you want to keep that like hands-on, um, control personal relationship type of business? I think you can kind of do both. I've seen from Zappos and I love Tony Shea's book of um, delivering happiness where they're a huge company and they sold to, I guess they're bought by Amazon now, mm-hmm. but um, he never lost focus of that. And you can always call Zappos and say, Hey, I want to order a pizza and they'll get it for you. You know, that's, they, They believe in customer service, and I don't think I have to sacrifice that if I were to get bigger, and I would love to for Twirly Girl to grow, and I do believe it has huge potential to do that. Um, I'm, I'm not opposed to selling the company at some point. I don't know when that point would be, but right now, 
I feel like it it has a life of its own. And even if I weren't involved, Twirly Girl brand right now is so strong in what it is. I don't think it would. I I'm I don't feel I'm in uh, fear of it being diluted or sold to something that. It, it's not going to be true to itself because it has to be keep you have to keep varying the versions or people aren't going to go back to it. That's kind of, it's, it's kind of, um, what is it? Uh, I can't think of that word counterintuitive because everything everybody says is less choices. Like that's all I hear from salespeople. Like don't offer your customers so many choices. They get confused. But when I offer them less, I don't get as many sales. So I think I've proven like time and again that I keep breaking the rules and I'm kind of a rule breaker anyway. So I offer more choices and get more sales. And that's just kind of how I think it would have to keep continuing. So, Talking about growth before um, before we hit record, you mentioned that as you guys grow, you keep hitting these techno technological um, I don't know hurdles uh, yeah. where the marketplace isn't there to kind of support you. I'd love to hear about some of those issues that you're having that maybe even the tech community can help solve. Yes, tech community, come and help us, <laughs> <laughs> please. If you're listening, okay. Here's the things we stumble with. Um, we had to change our website of a lot of times because the platform we were on couldn't handle the growth we wanted to make. Mm. So that meant it couldn't handle the apps we wanted to put on. It couldn't handle the design functions we wanted. Every place we go and we're on big commerce now, I have to say I'm shocked that I'm the first person who has ever asked for something hmm. like to have a wholesale side, but then ha- have them be able to put in the quantities they want. But on the retail side, it's totally different kind of setup. And I mean, there's so many more things that I've thought of that I wanted to do that I would have to make myself. So we have to hire a design team to write the code to put on Big Commerce platform. And then when Big Commerce updates their platform, my stuff breaks because it can't integrate. Yeah, it's frigging custom and everything's custom. And so we get so frustrated. The other day, our website completely went down because there was some script on there. I have no idea how it got on there. I don't even know what it was, but it broke the site completely and big commerce couldn't fix it because they're, they're not designed. Huh. So it's like these things aren't integrated enough. They're not working seamlessly with the retail component or the e-commerce customer that is wanting to show videos and um, pop up stuff that would um, talk about the product in a really interactive way instead of just having to scroll into boxes. I mean, there's so many things that I would love to do differently, but I feel like my hands are tied because either the technology isn't quite keeping up with the platform or the platform can't handle the technology that a designer could put on it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds like the the latter is is happening where the platform is kind of static and they've built what they've built. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they have to build it for the masses and I totally get that. And I know I'll probably be always wanting... Um, more than what is out there in some ways until I'm ready to have my own server and do all that stuff by myself, which would cost 
tons of money to do. Um, and it's possible. I know anthropology probably has their own people that do their site. I don't know how that all works, but that's what I'm saying. It's like all of this stuff is so important for e-commerce. And sometimes I feel like it's not really catering to the user experience, but more what's convenient for the platform to service. Does that make sense? That's a really interesting observation. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that could be the case, um, you know, depending on platform to platform, we as technologists often build for what we understand and not always for the final problem. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of other e-commerce uh, people out there that are experiencing the same frustrations that I have. And we want to make our site stand out. We want it to be Per our personality and what I'm finding as I go through a lot of different sites is they all start to look the same mm -hmm. because these templates are just easy and they're seamless and yes there's some proven things that work and so globally people expect to see add to cart you know just stuff that's just ubiquitous now um, but in order to stand out and add your personality and be authentic to your brand, you really can't look like everybody else. And yet it's very hard to not look like everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's frustrating. You know, I'd love to see it be a little more flexible. And yeah. I know I'm probably asking for the moon, but <laughs> well, that's, that's what we're doing. That's what to I deliver, tend to right? do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're supposed to deliver it. You guys are smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you so much for, for coming on. Where can we keep up with you and and Twirly Girl online? Twirlygirlshop.com. We did try and get Twirly Girl URL, but she's squatting on it. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So it's okay. It's fine. 20 years. I'll just wait. It's all good. So it's twirl, twirlygirlshop.com. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, yes. Cynthia. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. We have discounts on products that we use every day, like Woo Themes, Wistia, Treehouse. Go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials and get your discounts today. Don't you think it's possible Don't you think it's possible?